This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson. And before we get going here, I wanted to make a quick announcement. In July, I'll be putting out a series of podcasts about sort of estate planning 101, basic estate planning. So we'll be covering topics like what is a will? What is a financial power of attorney? What is a healthcare power of attorney or healthcare directive? And these are topics meant to be introductory and basic, but Hopefully they'll be helpful for anybody who is just getting started in this area, is curious about this area, or in the future, uh, if you or your friends or your clients have a question about what are some of these things on a very basic level, you can just refer back to these episodes. It'll give you a quick snapshot of information and hopefully get you directed in the right direction with some insight on why these things are important and how they how, how they're might be useful. Uh, the episodes will hopefully be relatively short, so they'll be <laughs> digestible, so they're not going to you know, be an hour and a half long of something to listen to about what is a will. Uh, but they'll be short snippets to help you to wrap your mind around the basics of these things um, and, of course, to help anybody in the future who has questions and, and just needs a quick answer uh, or at least a general answer. So that's coming in July. Hopefully you'll enjoy it. I'll have guests with me to help me to explain these things. Uh, and I'm looking forward to doing it and looking forward to releasing it for you. And hopefully you'll enjoy it and future people will enjoy it um, when they have questions and, and they listen to those podcast episodes or refer back to those podcast episodes. Okay, so for today, I wanted to talk just a little bit about inflationary environments and kind of wealth transfers. Um, so we're really we're really talking about high net worth families and how they use inflationary environments in their planning in smart ways or ways that will allow them to continue to transfer wealth without um, without eliminating the ability to do it. And I think there's there's a bit of an assumption, par- partly because of the type of investment environment that we've been in for some time now, which is that when interest rates go up, that is necessarily a bad thing. You know, it, it indicates that inflation is happening. Of course, in in uh, the current markets right now, markets are very low. Um, inflationary rates, they they tend to, or at least interest rates, they, and it appears that the Fed is going to continue to raise interest rates somewhat aggressively as a response to inflation. You know, it, it uh, hedges against the ability to get financing and to borrow and therefore to buy properties, particularly real estate, the way that those properties are typically funded. And so there's a bit of an assumption that that therefore makes wealth transfer more difficult for wealthy families. Well, that can be true in some instances and on some time horizons, but in reality, those sorts of transactions are, first of all, um, not limited, not always limited to the performance of interest rates, and second of all, are not necessarily focused on short-term hits, uh, and often, oftentimes have 
a long-term view in play. So there are certain techniques that are sensitive to interest rates and might do better if interest rates are lower. But I'll, I'll kind of come back to that and just that thought in just a second because it's not always true. But so for example, we've talked about these in the past, but grantor retained annuity trusts or GRATs. Um, the, the value of the annuity payment that's going to be paid to the person who creates the GRAB um, is based off of a discount rate uh, that is tied to an interest rate that the IRS releases, the 7520 rate. And that that is somewhat tied to the federal interest rates. And so as those interest rates go up, the discount rate goes up, which means the annuity, when you're valuing the annuity, looks like it's worth less, meaning you must pay back the grantor who set up the trust originally more money in order to, quote, zero out the GRAT, meaning that there is no or little gift tax to set up the GRAT, even if the assets in the grant overperform, and when the grant is done, there's lots of money left in the grant that goes to family. And so, yes, in that case, if interest rates go up, then you have to pay out more uh, in annuity payments in order to, to cover that difference. In addition, sales of assets to what are called intentionally defective grantor trusts sometimes, or IGITs, um, those sales, the, the notes are set up or the sale is usually done on a promissory note. The note is usually set up on a promissory note that has at a minimum the the federal minimum applicable federal rate, uh, which is an interest rate that the IRS uh, puts out every single month. This month, it's a little little south of uh, 3% roughly. And so um, obviously, if you have to pay more interest on the note, then you have to pay more in order to fund that sale. Okay. There are a couple of reasons why that's not that not doesn't necessarily mean that those techniques are like dead in the water. Okay, so first of all, there's oftentimes a correlation between high interest and low values. Uh, so when the interest rates go up, it's usually because there's something like we're in, uh, experiencing now. There's, it's an inflationary environment and valuations can be low on the asset that's actually actually being contributed into the grant or being sold into the intentionally defective trust. So that reduces the overall cost of that transaction because the, the principal amount, if you think of it that way, is less. The other thing is that oftentimes when values are low, then the expectation would be in a higher interest rate environment that those valuations have more room for improvement in the future. With grants, they're often short-term instruments, but they might not necessarily be short-term. They could be longer-term, and in that case, there's more room in, built into that grant for the assets, which might be lower value now, to increase in value in the future. With sales to intentionally defective trust, those can be longer-term transactions. So the, the note could be set up for a longer term, and therefore um, the note can can bear a a swing in the market, and it can you know it can it can sort of exist over a longer period of time, and therefore there's there's room for those assets to increase in value. Okay. The other thing is that there are also techniques that actually flourish when interest rates go up, and they become even more interesting. So one of the more popular ones from I'll say. You know, a decade or so ago was what was called the Qualified Personal Residence Trust or QPERT. Well, with the QPERT, what you would do is you would contribute your house or, or say a vacation home into a trust. You retain the right to live in the house for some number of years. And then 
it could be or for your lifetime if you want, but it's usually some number of years. And then at the end of those number of years, the house uh, passes on to typically to family members and the delta between the value of your interest in the property versus the remaining the remainder interest in the trust is a gift. Well, the your value in the property or the value of your interest in the property goes up in a high interest rate environment just by by the way that the actuarial tables work for the IRS. So when you have higher interest, it looks like you've retained something with more value, meaning the gift, which would be the value of the remainder in the trust, goes down. And so those sorts of techniques start to become more interesting as interest rates go up. Same thing with what are called charitable remainder trusts. As interest rates go up, what happens is that the remainder interest in the trust looks like it's worth more. Well, in in a charitable remainder trust, the remainder interest goes to charity. And your deduction for charitable purposes is based on the value of what's going to the charity when you originally set up the trust. Therefore, if it looks like that value is higher, then you're going to get a bigger, bigger deduction. And so higher interest rates in some instances with charitable remainder trust can be a, actually a good thing. And then there's a technique that um, it's maybe not as talked about as much, but is uh, is an important technique to remember, and that is the remainder the, the remainder purchase marital trust Um Basically, what happens is you create a trust for your spouse. The spouse has a lifetime interest in the trust, and then the remainder goes to uh, you know some family members. Well, what happens is instantaneously when you create the trust, your your other family members, often through their own trust, purchase the remainder interest in this trust for the spouse, and that transaction is sort of like a sale to an intentionally defective trust. It's just that the the value of the remainder that they're buying is essentially the value of the property you put in the trust minus the value of what your spouse is receiving. And the valuation of what the spouse is receiving looks like it's worth more in a higher interest rate environment than in a lower interest rate environment um, if it's set up as a, a true sort of income interest. And so with higher interest rates, it actually makes those types of transactions better because the remainder interest the, or the other family members have to pay less money in order to purchase the remainder interest in that trust. And these, again, are trusts that probably are being set up with a longer time horizon, and so they can bear swings in the market. So if the market is low or values are depressed today, but say your spouse is going to survive for another 15, 20 years, well, after 15 and 20 years, that's when the trust pays out the remainder to the other family members who bought the remainder interest. And the value of the trust at that point is sort of based on uh, typical market returns is going to be much more and it could be much more than, say, today, when valuations might be depressed um, because of inflation and, and the economy, etc. But when you have this, these longer time horizons, it's not quite as important because these things are going to play out over you know, maybe a decade or more. So in, in those ways, the ability to sort of do planning for high net worth families in order to, sh- to push wealth off to future generations. And oftentimes what that's targeted at is pushing value of assets, future value of assets off to uh, lower generations because if the current generation retains that value and then they die, they could have an estate tax issue. And so you're trying to push off that value 
to future generations today so that you don't retain it, and therefore when you die, you don't have to pay a state tax on it. And so a lot of these techniques, they do have a sensitivity to the interest rates, but they're not dependent on the interest rates. And some techniques do better in a high interest rate environment than a low in, than in a low interest rate environment. So you have to sort of bear that in mind that it's not always doom and gloom. I know when you look at the markets and you look at interest rates on a sort of daily basis, and I, and I do, um, it can feel like, oh man, everything is unraveling. But um, when, you, when you take it with a, a longer view, uh, that's really not the case. That uh, these sorts of changes in the market are actually quite normal. Um, when you look at the historical returns, certainly in the stock market, or look at historical returns on real estate, for example, um, these sorts of changes in the market are normal. These sorts of changes in interest rates are somewhat normal as well. Interest rates do fluctuate, um, and we've had high interest rate environments in the past. We've had even higher interest rate environments than we have today in the past, and there will be changes in the market in the future, and none of us can really predict it. And so really doing these sorts of, this sort of sort of planning to, to revert back to the topic at hand here, um, it's done over long time horizons, and therefore the in the fluctuation from year to year in stock markets or the real estate market is not always the most important component um, to the techniques. Although some of the techniques are very short term, like a grab, um, they can be sensitive to fluctuations in the market in the short term. But they also are often techniques that don't necessarily. Um, depend on the market doing well in order for them to be a quote success because what they're trying to do is capture upticks in the market when they happen and that's certainly the way that that grats are typically structured you're not trying to guess all the time that a certain asset will for sure do well in say this year the next year you're trying to capture any of the upticks in the market as they happen over time by contributing property into grats and seeing if they actually outperform uh, the returns that are they're built into the grat and the return built into the grat is tied to interest rates. So um, I'll leave it there, but I just wanted to make sure that uh, everybody kind of was pointed in the right direction on what happens in environments like this. We haven't been in uh, a high interest rate environment for some time. That's uh, not necessarily a good thing because we got into these low interest rate environments, you might remember, because of the Great Recession. And really since then, um, as interest rates really tailed off and were dialed back during the Great Recession, we haven't totally um, we haven't totally gotten everything back to where it was. You know, we haven't, haven't totally recovered interest rates back to where they were pre-Great Recession. So, um, you know, we're, we're just sort of uh, reverting back to that right now. What will happen in the future? I don't know. And uh, if somebody does know, they're probably not sharing uh, because they're probably making more money on it than anybody else. But it's unlikely that anybody can, has a crystal ball uh, and can truly predict what is going to happen in the future. And most of the planning that we do for high net worth families, that's basically the under, underlying premise. We have no idea what's going to happen in the future, so let's try to do things on a longer time horizon that will hopefully capture um, appreciation as it happens during that long time horizon, and then picking and choosing among the techniques that are available, and some of them are the ones that I mentioned, uh, and if it is a good thing to use because of the current interest rate being high, then you do that. If it's a good thing to use if the current interest rates are low, 
then you do that. And you just pick and choose. And it's not it's not necessarily important which of the techniques you're forced into using because of the interest rates. It's more about the end result for those sorts of families, which is shifting off future appreciation and assets to younger generations so that older generations don't have to pay a state tax on it. Okay, well, I'll leave it there. I hope you're all, <clears throat> first of all, doing well and having a great summer. And again, uh, I, I look forward to releasing our series in July about estate planning basics that I hope is valuable and you find it helpful. I'll see you then. Hey, listeners. Thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com and follow me on social media at Wealth and Law. I'll see you there.